everybody. Welcome to .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers. This is Carl Franklin in New London, Connecticut. And as always, my partner in crime, Mark Dunn in Atlanta, Georgia. How you doing, Mark? Doing great, Carl. Uh, really excited about tonight's show. You know, you always say you're excited about tonight's show. I have yet to see a show that you haven't been excited about, but this one is particularly exciting, isn't it? It certainly is. ASP.NET is an awesome topic, and we've got an awesome guy to talk about it tonight. Yeah, we do. So uh, before we bring on our guest, um, I want to talk a little bit about the news of the week. And the uh, .NET Framework 1.1 beta has been uh, released, and you can get more information about that at, at uh, msdn.microsoft.com slash netframework. And uh, did you see that, Mark? Yeah, I sure did. Uh, it looked like there were some pretty cool things in uh, the next version of the framework. Yeah, like uh, native support for developing mobile web applications. So the compact framework stuff is finally rolled right into the uh, framework. Yeah, I certainly think that's going to be the uh, you know one of the next big arenas where developers can make money uh, developing mobile web applications. Have any of your customers been... Uh, getting into the compact framework? Uh, sure. I've had uh, several students that have brought, uh, you know, iPacks in and, and a couple of show-me demos of doing some very cool stuff with uh, with SQL Server. Cool. And I, I, you know, let's see if we can talk about this. One of them showed me uh, some stuff he was doing with Everett. So uh, I don't know that, that we can really get into that due to non-disclosure. Well, we can say Everett, obviously. Um. Very cool. Also, I see on this list of features uh, for the Framework 1.1 is granular version control of the framework. In other words, you can have version 1.1 of the framework and 1.0 of the framework installed on the same machine, and uh, no problem, side by side. Would you expect anything less? I wouldn't expect anything less. Yeah, that's pretty much a given. Right. But I'm glad, I'm glad they got it addressed. Yeah, we're we're really seeing the end of versioning problems with code now, and that that's certainly welcome. It, it was a difficult problem to uh, to fix, but they did it well. Also, um, enabling execution of Windows Forms assemblies originating from the internet. That means that if you make a link to an executable, you won't get a by default a security error. Um, so that that's good. Also, I see some enhancements to code access security for ASP.NET. Looks like they have an Oracle data provider and an ODBC data provider built right in to the new framework. All right, that's going to be cool. I still run into quite a few folks that are using Oracle and connecting with .NET to Oracle databases. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I was just talking at the Rhode Island .NET Users Group uh, just a couple nights ago, and there was a guy in there who had done extensive work with Oracle and um using the OLEDB layer and was having a heck of a time getting the data adapter stuff to work. So he's now uh, going to be using the built-in data provider, which is going to be a lot a lot better performing and a lot closer to Oracle. Um, that's great. Uh, the, especially the compact framework stuff, I think, is just a, a huge thing. Again, more examples of how .NET is just not a passing fad, but this is an evolving uh, platform. And um, it's not going. It's only getting better. Yeah, I I really do think we're going to see a huge wave next year of people swapping over and implementing .NET solutions. Yep. Uh, it's about to blow wide open. Yeah. So Carl, uh, we're talking to Mark Anders tonight. Uh, yeah. This is going to be great. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, Mark Anders? Sure. Well, I I first met Mark when I was out in. Um, when I was out in Redmond uh, at the uh, Train the Trainer for the .NET training, Microsoft.NET two-day training sessions. And uh, he, first of all, has his roots in Microsoft as a developer. He was lead developer for Visual Interdev and then moved into uh, management. And now he's uh, uh, manager of the framework and the whole team that's responsible for ASP.NET. And... Uh, definitely an interesting guy for us to talk to. Um, so I guess without any further ado, let's uh, let's bring on our guest. Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome from Microsoft, Mark Anders. Mark, how are you? Pretty good. How are you? 
I'm great. Uh, it's great to be here. It definitely is a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, it's going to be a little fun, though, because we have Mark Dunn and Mark Anders. So when I talk, I guess I'll address... Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do, quite frankly. It's, we'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this could especially be confusing when the callers start coming in. And Yeah, I have a question for Mark. Uh, okay. Well, we don't have... We have a lot of... Uh, uh, callers, and we have a lot of stuff that we want to cover. So, why don't you just, um, Mark Anders, introduce yourself to the audience? Uh, if is there anything I missed that you want to say about yourself? Let's see, anything you missed? Um, Besides the smartest guy at Microsoft, you know. Well, I, I wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't say that. I mean, I think for members of your audience, uh, you hit on some of the key things. Um, one of the things they might not know was that uh, I was one of the, the two co-founders of the ASP.NET team. So wow. uh, back in 97, uh, a guy named Scott Guthrie and I started brainstorming on new ways of uh, writing web applications. And the result of that, uh, a number of years later, is uh, ASP.NET. And that was well that was well after ASP had been firmly established, right? Yeah, ASP at that point was out for about a year, I think. Hmm. So it was it was actually pretty well established, but it was new. Right. And the framework, did the framework come before ASP.NET, or did it all sort of happen at the same time? Um, basically, it happened at the same time. We were, it, it's, it's sort of a complicated story, but uh, basically there was the runtime team. And they were working with the tools group uh, to build uh, Visual Studio.net and a set of libraries uh, that were sort of part of Visual Studio at that point, um, uh, Windows Forms, some other things. ASP.NET was really the first sort of external group to say, we want to bet on the runtime. Yeah. And uh, so that was a, a big decision, but a really important one, I think. Well, and the, the result have, has been outstanding. certainly has. Uh, whenever you designed ASP.NET, were you influenced largely by some of the best practices that had emerged with uh, developers using classic ASP? It's an interesting question. I, to a degree, we were. But to a degree, we were trying to look beyond what people were doing. Um, a lot of the techniques that uh, developers had with classic ASP were really to work around sort of the peculiarities of ASP. You know, so people did a lot of stuff with uh, includes. Yeah. And includes aren't really a, a concept that we stress in ASP.NET. I mean, we have them. But we went with a much more componentized model. User so really control. what we were doing was we were looking at sort of the things that people were trying to do and then saying, Really taking a step back and saying, how would you really like to do those things? From a developer's point of view, which is obvious. Yes, from a developer's point of view. Although we did look at things like, you know, deploying applications, managing applications, updating them uh, over time. So, But uh, primarily from a developer uh, point of view. You know, Mark, I've got a, a consulting client. Now, I've got to ask you this question. I've I've been talking to this guy now for a couple of months. And he has an ASP application that, that would be perfect to upgrade to ASP.NET. I just can't talk him into it somehow. Uh, could you kind of give us the, the top ten reasons in, in your own words, why should a developer today uh, take an existing ASP application and upgrade it to ASP.NET? Let's see. I mean, the, there are so many reasons it's really hard to, to just uh, come up with a a couple of them. Your apps are going to be faster. Um, they're going to be more scalable. They're going to be more reliable. Um, they're going to be easier to upgrade over time. Uh, they're easier to deploy. Uh, they're easy to, to configure. Really, when you look at ASP.NET, uh, I don't know of any developers <laughs> who have um, used ASP tried ASP.NET and said that they prefer uh, ASP. Right. This guy uh, is not a developer, unfortunately. He's He needs to make the management decision to do right. it. 
and uh, I've, I've had a tough time convincing him that he'll really see huge benefits. Uh, the main thing I really try to hit him with is just performance. Well, performance and reliability, I think, are really the two key things. Um, you know, just from a is your site still running uh, um, aspect, since ASP.NET has process recycling and runs all of the code external to your web server process, we recover, you know, if there are any problems with your application, we will recover from those and your users will not see any interruption. So in addition to better performance, you're going to get better uptime, which I think is a key for uh, a decision maker like that who's not looking at, you know, the technical aspects of why it's better. Hmm. Yeah, one thing as a developer that I like is the ability just to copy a new DLL out there and have ASP.NET pick it up and run with it. I used to have a shortcut to IIS Reset on my desktop. So whenever I recompiled a, a DLL that I wanted to stick back out there, I could get uh, the IIS process to release it. And, you know, in COM, that was that was what you had to do, which could have, could have been, you know, uncomfortable on a production server. Yeah, that was one of the things I was mentioning when I said easier to deploy. Um, when we were designing ASP.NET, you know, we looked at ASP, and there were a lot of really great things about it, right? Deployment was one. You could just take these pages and copy them into your file system, and that was all you really needed to do. But it broke down. The model really broke down when you moved beyond pages. If, for example, you had COM DLLs, as you're uh, talking about, you'd need to register those, and you'd need, if your app was running, uh, the DLLs would be locked, and you couldn't copy over them. I tell you, that's a brilliant addition, the ability to just copy over those DLLs. Yeah, configuration was another one uh, that I think was key. Um, most people stored their settings in the IS metabase, but of course that means that, again, you have to run some registration code to do that. We wanted to make it so that you could copy really all of the content that was part of your application. You know, really copy your entire application, your your code, your pages, your web services, your configuration information, and your static files, mm. and just copy them to the machine, and, and that was all you really needed to do. I have a question that might be somewhat techy. With the user control, um, typically what I like to do is I like to have a header, a user control that, you know, has all the stuff that goes at the top of the page, including, you know, the title and the text and all that. And I like to be able to expose those, um, you know, expose those labels, basically, that I'm using directly without having to write a property handler. But if I, you know, th the default scope of, you know, a label in a user control is protected, it's not easy to get a reference to it. You have to use find control, I believe. And and then you need to go and enable those labels to be public, either that or make property handlers for them. Is there going to be an easier way in uh, upcoming versions to do that? Is that? That's a very good question. I I actually don't know. All right, we'll edit that one out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, the, the the short answer is, I'm not sure what we could do. To make you just make the default. Make well, the, the reason we didn't make the default public is because you really want to have controls be encapsulated. Right. Um, because otherwise, I mean, that's really what controls are. They're encapsulated units, and you, you often want to hide from people your implementation details. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. And You know, you just have to write a property handler for it, that's all. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, I have a couple of questions here that were sent in by email, but they uh, people weren't available during the taping. One is from Chris Pels, who is the uh, president of the Boston.NET Users Group, and he asks, Mark, what are some good resources to learn about how to implement security for web services in .NET? Mm, that's a good one. Okay, we'll edit that, too. Hold on, we'll just, no, hold no, on, hold on. Let's <laughs> I wonder if there are are there any books? Do you, do you know? There are there are a few books on security in general in .NET, but he's right, and there really isn't a lot of of hardcore stuff out there about securing web services. There's some vague things like use HTTPS and yeah. Or, I think the reason for that is that um, most of the um, 
the ways that we're going to be doing that kind of stuff mm-hmm. are evolving standards. Right. So uh, WS security, for example, going to be built into SOAP. In other words, yeah, it, it there's there's sort of shortcomings of the spec. Got it. Um, so in terms of resources, um, yeah, I don't know what resources there are for doing it with today's technology. I mean, in the future, we will have um, pieces of the framework that do that for you. All right, I have another question from... Uh, Hopefully you have a whole bunch of them. Well, what I tell people generally is to only in, and do some data encryption using RSA and uh-huh. public key cryptography, which is easy to do in the .NET framework, and just encrypt the fields that need encrypting and leave everything that's public knowledge unencrypted, just as you would with a regular website. And I think that's a good uh, a good way to do it. Well, if you do that, Carl, does the, the client have to be aware of the algorithm then? Exactly. So another question from Dan McKenzie in Waltham, Massachusetts. What is the .NET equivalent? Oh, this is a great one, Mark. Here you go. What is the .NET equivalent of a Java applet? I'd like to get started with .NET by writing simple VBNet programs that I can put on my website. It's a clearly a meatball for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, the, the, the um, .NET equivalent of something, of an applet, which is basically a piece of code that runs in your web browser, is a Windows Forms control. And with the .NET framework, you can create very easily create controls that run within Internet Explorer. Okay, uh, great. Here's another question from a Mr. Tack Sato in San Francisco. Um, I have a question regarding the Windows.NET server, which I believe is currently in its first RC stage with a second one due out shortly. Can you briefly discuss what this is? Is it a new version of Windows Server with a .NET framework? Is it something much more? Well, Windows.NET Server is um, the next generation of the Windows 2000 server um, product. It's the, sort of the version after Windows 2000 server. Yeah. So it's um, you know combines a lot of the stuff you saw on Windows XP, but has a lot of great new server facilities. Um, and they're really uh, a number of very very uh, interesting services. There's a new version of IS IS6 that uh, has a completely different architecture, much more secure, much faster. Hmm. Uh, the .NET Framework 1.1 is part of Windows.NET Server. And so that's built in, and we've done a lot of work to make sure that it it integrates very well with all of the new facilities provided by Windows.NET Server. When you say faster, what exactly do you mean? I mean, have they done better threading? Have they done... Um, it's actually even more radical than that. There is a kernel mode HTTP driver, and IS sits on top of that. Wow. And so rather than, for example, take ASP.NET. When we run ASP.NET on Windows 2000, we run it in a separate process. Yes. With IS6, we actually don't run it in a separate process. It runs within the IS process. And you can have numerous IS processes running simultaneously. Hmm. And the requests come in. And from kernel mode, they get dispatched to the correct process that is running that part of the URL namespace. Awesome. So just there, you get a lot of um, yeah. You get a lot, a lot of increased performance while maintaining, you know, the robustness of the system, which was very, very important. Hey, if you like listening to Mark Anders, you should hear him live. Come down to Dev Connections, which is happening in Orlando, October 27th through the 30th at the Grand Hyatt Hotel. Uh, yours truly, Carl Franklin, myself, I am the chairperson for the VB track. There's a VB track, a C-sharp track, an ASP.NET track, and a SQL track. And uh, I'm authorized to give you a buy two, get one free deal only this week, only by sending email to Shirley at devconnections.com with a special code word, Franklin. So if you send her email, Shirley at devconnections.com, say you heard about this offer on .NET Rocks, you can buy two passes and get one free only this week. Admission is normally $13.95. Now you can buy two, get one free. Uh, we have almost 1,000 people signed up and going down there, 
and uh, it should be an incredibly informative conference. Mark Anders is going to be doing a keynote. David Lazar from Microsoft is going to be doing a keynote. This is targeted for developers. This is a developer conference. You're going to learn a lot of hardcore stuff. Myself, I'm going to be showing some code that I wrote to access sockets in .NET, in VB.NET, and actually to do a peer-to-peer -peer programming uh, in .NET. And I'm going to give away a peer-to-peer -peer application. Uh, it's going to be very cool. Now let's get back to .NET Rocks conversation with Mark Anders of Microsoft. Uh, our old friend Chris Sells from Develop Mentor stops by and offers his insights and has a nice little chat with us about ASP.NET. So don't miss it. Stick around. A question that's come up a few times uh, in various places is about the overhead, the difference in overhead of creating .NET objects versus instantiating COM objects. .NET objects are much, much, much lighter weight than uh, than COM objects. Um, if you think of uh, you know an object-oriented language such as uh, C++, people use objects all the time, right? You create you know a point object or a rect object, and right. you just new it, and it's it's newed on the heap and then and used. COM objects were always a much heavier weight thing, right? It was a, a component and um, the component was not built of other little components. I mean, it didn't factor all the way down. Uh, the .NET framework instantiating components is, is orders of magnitude faster than uh, creating COM objects. It's, you know, the equivalent of creating objects in a language like C++. So it's very, very efficient. You're not going to have, then, uh, such a need for object pooling, for example, then? Um, the reason one might want to use object pooling is typically when the cost of the object, it's, you know, if you look at the cost of an object, there are lots of reasons that, an, that instantiating an object has cost. It, it, mostly to do with your code, right? Um, mostly to do with your code yeah. or other external resources that your code hangs on to. Yes. You know, for example, let's imagine that you had an object and it goes out and, uh, acquires a connection to a database. Now, I know there's database connection pooling, but that might be an expensive thing. Or let's say it opens up a, a socket to another machine or, um, you know, loads a large file into memory and builds some large memory structure. That mm -hmm. might be something that you want to reuse. Right. And so object pooling is still um, a technique which is valid. It's just that the reason you use it is is different. Right. You don't have to use it as much as you did in the past. Oh, good. Good answer. Okay. Um, so i got to ask you this, Mark, before we get too much more into it and before we get a caller on the line. Um, Mountain Dew or Red Bull? Um, I uh, drink neither, actually. I don't <laughs> really drink carbonated beverages. Okay. I'm actually drinking water right now. Hey, you know, but good. <laughs> but I do, uh, you know, drink espresso, uh -huh. and I just drink it black. As you should. Right. You've got to have a little caffeine in your diet. Oh, yeah. No, I have plenty of caffeine in my diet. I just, uh, um, it's usually from coffee or tea. Generally, that's where I get mine as well. I, I drink neither myself. But, you know, you're a developer, and I just had to ask. Hey, Carl, we've got a caller on the line from Atlanta, Georgia, uh, Tommy Ryan. Hi, Mark. Uh, just a few questions. Um, sure, Tommy. I, I do quite a bit of ASP.NET development. Um, done a lot of ASP in the past, and some of the things I'm curious about are scripting languages on the client side or programming languages on the client side for web development. Mm -hmm. We currently have VBScript and JavaScript. In terms of .NET languages, do you see any .NET languages being hosted within the browser like C Sharp or VB.NET? I know C Sharp was ECMA approved. And VB.NET, we get a lot of VB programmers out there, so I didn't know if that's something that's going to happen in the future. It's something, actually, that we're looking at. Um, obviously, you know, the things you want to do there, um, it theoretically is possible to do it today, although mm -hmm. I say theoretically because it's, it's not how you'd want to do it. Um, the challenge there really is if you uh, think about the scenario, what you want to be able to do, is you want to be able to load a web page from, you know, the Internet. Right. And you want C-sharp or VB to be, uh, for example, among others, uh, to be the language that you use to program that web page. Right. Well, 
the way today you would access the web page is that you would load an object that uses interop to go against the uh, IE DOM, mm -hmm. right? And the problem with that is, is that creating a COM object requires full trust. Right. So what we would need to do is to, in the system, provide a very secure wrapper that, you know, gives you a type-safe way of doing that, and which is, you know, which it has full trust, but it is, um, you know, a secure component. Right, because you don't want to open up vulnerabilities. For exactly. You don't want to open up vulnerabilities. Yeah, that's never happened. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we're really trying to not um, let those types of things happen. Yeah. Um, it was yeah, actually yeah. a feature that we we did not try and implement for V1. Mm -hmm. We knew that would be a, a, a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Yeah, you see, I mean, you have VBScript, and VBScript, you know, it's in IE, but you don't see across browser types, so a lot of people shy away from VBScript on the client side because of that. Right. But I didn't know, because of C-sharp being ECMO-approved, if, if you see any movement in terms of browsers uh, taking the, adopting that as a language, it's so, so close to, to JavaScript, that maybe there's not much value there. Well, yeah. I think there would be a lot of value, although C# -sharp is a very different language. I mean, it's it's a .NET language too. It has a lot of the framework in it. Yeah, I mean, it gives you complete access to right. the framework. It um, you know, syntactically, I think it's sort of superficially like JavaScript. Yeah. I mean, it's a very different language just as JavaScript is a very different language from uh Java. But uh, running code within the browser is an interesting scenario, and it is something that we're looking at for the future. But it's not in it's not in version one, and it is also not in version 1.1, which is uh, the beta of which has just hit the streets. Okay. Mark, Mark, let me ask you: Is that why are you keeping your options open, and is that why you have the run at at equal server tag in an ASP control? definition um which always seemed redundant to me right because um, you may someday want to do run at equals client no that was really not it okay. um the reason that we had run at equal server was if you remember um script blocks in asp had run at equal server yes and it right? defaulted to client if you didn't put it there and it, if you didn't have something it would it would default to the client so we one of the things we were doing when we were creating ASP.NET is we were looking at things like ASP and trying to take those concepts and, um, you know, where it, it was something that made sense, we kept those. So for, you know, a, a code block in ASP.NET, you say run it equals server, which is consistent with what you did in ASP. Sure. And for the tags, we actually experimented uh, very early on with a variety of syntaxes. Uh, or maybe that's just a variety of syntax for representing the fact that this is a special tag that maps to a, a control that runs on the server. We eventually thought just for consistency that it would be better to use the same thing, which is run at equal server. So as not to confuse the developer. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, thanks. Uh, there's another question I had about inline code versus code behind. This kind of segue into it because we're talking about that. Um, first of all, I, I love having the separation of code from the presentation, you know, having someone that can check out the, the presentation, the markup, and someone else can check out the supporting UI code for that. Um, but within VisualStudio.net, you're, you're, you're not forced, but you're almost forced into the code behind um, way of doing things because when you create a new ASP, X page, it automatically creates that code behind and wires it up. Um, right. And, but you've got the capability of, you know, putting run at equal to server in your script blocks and running server-side code within your ASP X page. Right. Uh, typically, I don't do that, but you have, you, you run in, there's tons of examples with that because I think just because portability of code is easy to show the example because you have it all in one file. Right. But besides for code samples, um, are there any good reasons why you'd say, yes, there's value with putting the code in your ASPX page? I know 
uh, you have flexibility. You can go and change it on the server and gets recompiled. So um, if you have it in the code behind, you don't have that flexibility. But besides that, it's well, it actually depends on that. what style of code behind you have. You can, you know, have code behind with a source equals, and right, it will get compiled. That's correct. That's correct. I'm sorry. That's um, you choose to do that. You know, this is sort of a religious uh, debate subject. Um, okay. Interestingly enough, uh, you know, when we were building ASP.NET originally, um, in the beginning, we only allowed code behind. We were, you know, on this sort of religious really? fervor that, you know, you must always separate the uh, the um, code from your content. But then you had the conversion process. Did that kind of break that model that you wanted to be able to take ASP pages and easily convert them? Oh, I thought you were meaning conversion in a religious sense. Well, um, yeah, no, and, no, no, no. Well, I'm talking about. Like, and I, mean, uh, you, I, I, you first I think, thought about just saying only code behind, but then you said let's also do it within the ASPX page. Is that because of legacy ASP that pages? That was one of the reasons. Okay. Um, interestingly enough, you know, when we were when we were at that phase of the product, of you know, of the project of building ASP.NET, we were not really trying to be compatible with ASP. We were really trying to think out of the box and just think of new stuff, you know, and how we wanted the world to work, not really trying to be constrained by how ASP, works today. Um, you know, worked at that time. But one of the things that we found was that there were a lot of things which were just, you know, pretty nice in ASP. And the ability to just take an HTML file and start adding stuff to it yeah. was a very nice thing. Right. The other thing was, you know, when you said inline code, there are two ways that you could mean that. One is that you could mean, you know, you have your script block in the same page, or the other is that you just have, you know, angle bracket percent blocks right, within your, um, you know, within your HTML or XML or whatever right. uh, format you're using. And initially, we disabled that. We, you know, when we were designing the system, we said that's a bad thing. You know, you should never do that. And as, again, you know, as you went and started looking at ASP, you know, you said a lot of people being very successful with ASP, and there are actually a lot of scenarios where if you don't have that capability, it's it's very, very hard to build certain right. things. There are a number of things that are just more complicated. And so we really felt that for a variety of reasons, whether it was backward compatibility or, you know, if you're just a if you're a single person writing a site and you're not using a tool, it's very convenient to have everything in a single file. Hmm. And mm -hmm. so that's why we have right. both mechanisms. Right, right. Yeah, and notice that um, you don't have IntelliSense when you work within the ASPX page. Is is that something you just don't have time to do, or is there a fundamental reason why there's no IntelliSense? Um, IntelliSense that's, that's is a actually difficult a fairly thing. difficult feature to do. Especially in Notepad. Studio. Well, I'm talking intelligence within Visual Studio. I know, Studio cheap that joke. That's <laughs> so the, the question is about IntelliSense. Um, IntelliSense is actually a fairly difficult thing to do because what you have to actually do is you have to be compiling the code behind the scenes. Right. And if you think about what happens with ASP.NET, you know, you when when we compile it, you know, typically when you hit the page. Right. We run it through a process that converts the ASP.NET page into code, and then we run it through a compiler. Mm -hmm. um, the reason we can do uh, uh, IntelliSense on um, the code behind file right. is that's a valid, you know, VB or C sharp program. Mm -hmm. But when you're typing it within the context of an ASP.NET page, it's not really a valid program yeah, if you fed that into a compiler. Yeah. So we would actually have to go through a lot of work to be incrementally compiling the page as you're typing. Okay. And for V1, that was just a scenario that we couldn't do. And so that's it's not V1.1. Uh, is it planned at all? or is it? It's something that we're looking at for the future. Okay. Okay. Very good. So does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it, Mark. Thanks for the call, Tom. Yeah, sure. thanks for calling, Tommy. No problem. See you around. Bye -bye. See you. Okay, Mark, we have a special guest caller on the line uh, from Oregon. 
Uh, you probably know who he is, and a lot of our listeners do as well. Uh, Chris Sells. Chris, are you out there? I'm here. How are you? Hi, ya? Chris. Hey, hi, Carl. Hi, Mark. Hey, Carl, before we get started, I just wanted to say I'm a longtime listener, but a first-time caller. <laughs> and who do you who and kudos, I believe, is what I'm supposed to say right now. Cool. Thank you. All right. Another reason why .NET rocks. Chris Sells. So uh, do you know Mark? Mark, I think we've met at a conference or two. Yep, I think so. I'm the big, tall, uh, goofy-looking guy. Yep, I, I know who you are. Uh, actually, you know what? Come to think of it, in our industry, that doesn't really narrow it down very much, does it? <laughs> well, anyway, uh, Chris, you have a question. I do. Uh, Mark, I'm a big, uh, big .NET fan. Um, and uh, one of the things that uh, I always uh, run into, I talk to developers of all shapes and sizes, um, a, a lot of them are um, unfamiliar with that, that href XE stuff, that mobile code stuff. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Um, I'm just curious what you thought about that particular feature in .NET. Oh, I think it's one of the uh, most compelling uh, features of .NET. I mean, the ability to, to click on an app and, and have it just come down. What is it, Mark? Um, it's the ability, basically, to launch an application from a URL. And the code will come down. It will run within. It will run trusted, you know, in a, in a semi-trust way. Oh, okay. Rather. This is the same as uh, smart deployment or smart client deployment. I never heard it called hrefxe before. Yeah. The the reason it's an hrefxe is you have an href in HTML that links to the exe. Ah. Okay. And when that comes down, uh, the browser realizes that it's managed code and it runs it in the correct security context. And you can build apps that uh, users can access over the Internet, and, and they deploy transparently. So there is no installation. Um, if your app consists of multiple DLLs, those things will be downloaded on demand. And, yeah, I think it's a great feature. Um, it really does a lot for deployment. For... Uh, the framework V1, we had, you know, I think we had a good feature set. For V11, we are turning that on by default in uh, for the Internet zone. So uh, I know that was a that was a late change in the uh, in the RTM product of uh, V1. We had turned that off by default. So now .NET becomes the world's greatest virus construction set. Well, hopefully not. And the reason we uh, we enabled it is because we really felt comfortable with the security work that we had done. Um, when we had disabled in v in v one, it was really because we were being you know ultra conservative in terms of uh, not wanting to expose uh, users to uh, potential risk. But we've done a lot of testing uh, with. We haven't had any reports, um, and so things look good, and so we uh, decided to turn it on again. Now, there's still things that you can't do in the Internet zone, right? Oh, yes. There are, there are lots of things that you can't do. Yeah. Um, can't access your financial information, your registry, can't reformat your disk, lots of those things. I mean, you, Can it write you are running. The, the code is partially trusted. I mean, you, right. ru you allow it to do certain things, but... Um, you don't really allow it to do any more than uh, JavaScript or VBScript could do in oh, a good. page. So, Mark, I, I've actually, I love this feature. I have um, spent a lot of time both building stuff using this feature and kind of telling anyone who will listen to me about this feature. And, and as soon as people see it, they're always amazed because their IT departments have been telling them for years that the only way that you're allowed to build apps anymore for the intranet um, is with the web. And of course, you know, the web is, is a great deployment model, but in terms of building rich UIs, of course, WinForm kicks its really uh, by, behind. Well, that, that brings up a good point, Mark, is do you see ASP.NET or ASP or web development uh, in general going down because of that and only going into the uh, zone or the realm of internet development where you need to support a broad range of clients that you don't know who they are versus internal development i think it it's i think that's a hard 
thing to say for sure. Yeah. Um, what we are definitely trying to do is eliminate the barriers yeah. for writing rich client code. Uh, deployment should not be an issue. Side by side, you know, we've done a tremendous amount of work with things, things like, you know, side by side so that as new pieces of different applications come down, they don't disrupt existing applications that you're running. Um, the deployment stuff that we're talking about now, we're really trying to remove those barriers so that uh, IT organizations do not feel that they only have one choice. Very good. For developing apps. Chris, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Um, uh, my name is Chris Sells, and I'm uh, an instructor for Developmentor and have been for a number of years. Taught another number of courses there, including uh, the latest .NET curriculum. I'm also an independent uh, consultant in building systems and applications uh, in .NET and in the old days, common ATL, as well as an author and speaker and uh, general independent uh, technology uh, wonk. Super guru. You run a, a pretty kicking website too, Chris. Uh, do you want to tell the listeners a little bit about that? And your newsletter as well. Oh, sure. I'm happy to. Um, the website uh, literally sprang up um, when I first started teaching uh, years ago. And students would say, how do I do blah, whatever it was. And um, uh, I could never remember uh, the, the websites I'd been to that showed them how to do blah. So I just started keeping a little set of links that I could point people and say, here, here's my website, here's my email, go there, and that's all the questions that you've asked um, for about links this week. And I would make sure that their answers were up there from the week before. And it kind of grew um, to include both, you know, links and little samples I'd build for students and little tools. And just in general, I have this um, this sick need to build and ship code for some reason and so that the 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 site is just that and then what would happen is my site is really great i know where everything is but people would have a real hard time finding the new things finding out what they were looking for what they were interested in and so um a few months ago i started collecting email addresses and uh, once it got to over i don't know four or five thousand i said gosh these people really want to know about what's going on on my website. So I started sending a newsletter and that newsletter goes out every couple of weeks and it just says, here's the new stuff since the last newsletter. And it's just, you know, a few sentences and an, and an URL. So, you know, you can subscribe and get maybe a page email once uh, every couple of weeks. And it'll just say, here's the interesting things on my website and click this URL if you want information. And if you don't just, you know, delete it and it's gone. Yeah, that's great. I've already, uh, Subscribe myself and have picked up a couple things. And oh, I, I know what cool. you I know what you mean about having that sick need to ship code. Uh, I do sort of the same thing at Franklin's Net, and and uh, it definitely works. So Chris, before you go, um, I'd like to offer an invitation to you to be a guest at some time in the future on .NET Rocks. Would you uh, take me up on that? That sounds like a lot of fun. All right. Well, we'll be in touch. Okay. Thanks a lot. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Well, do you know what we do at Franklin's Net? We teach. We teach.net. I teach an award-winning VisualBasic.net five-day hands-on masterclass. I've taught this class for Microsoft consultants. I've taught this class to Foxwoods Resort Casino. I've taught this class to Hubble. I've taught this class to Cigna. I've taught this class to Raytheon. There are some incredible testimonials on our website, www.franklins.net, from people who have taken this class and who have gone on to produce pilot projects that have been greatly successful and are now actively developing .NET applications for their companies. Um, one success story after another, and you're going to hear a lot of those next year on .NET Rocks in 2003. But now if you're a VB6 developer, intermediate to advanced level, and you want to get up to speed on visualbasic.net, definitely check out the VBNet Masterclass at www.franklins.net. Coming up on .NET Rocks, more with Mark Anders from Microsoft about the future of .NET, uh, the next version of SQL Server, 
And also, Stephen Forte, Microsoft Regional Director from New York, joins us on the phone and asks some questions about Microsoft's marketing strategy uh, that we're all pretty curious about what, what the heck is going on with that. So stick around. Uh, on the line now is Stephen Forte, who, among other things, is the regional director, uh, one of the two regional directors for the New York City metro area. How you doing, Stephen? I'm doing well. How about you? Good evening. Good evening. Great to have you with us tonight, Stephen. Thank you very much. So what's up in New York? Oh, well, everything's going pretty well here in New York, and I have a question or two I might want to ask Mark. Yeah, why don't, why don't you uh, tell everybody who you are? Okay, uh, my name is Stephen Forte. I'm the uh, Microsoft MSDN Regional Director for the New York metro area, along with Andrew Brust. Our area covers the whole entire uh, New York State, New Jersey, and southwestern Connecticut. Besides that, I'm the co-founder and chief technology officer of a company called Corzin, which is an economic indicator uh, business, which is built entirely on the ASP.NET platform. And prior to that, I was the chief technology officer of the GAT Survey, uh, one of the largest leisure and travel websites out there on the Internet. Very I've cool. worked with Microsoft Technology for a number of years. All right. Well, you got a question for Mark? Sure thing. Hi, Stephen. Um, how you doing, Mark? Um, I was thinking to ask you this one, Mark, is, you know, knowing that you were in charge of uh, the .NET framework, I'd like to get your opinion on porting that framework to other platforms like the Mono Project, what your, what your thoughts are on that. Is that something that, you know, Microsoft frowns upon? Is that something that the long-term vision of the, the .NET project? Because when I first was introduced to .NET by you in New York a number of years ago, uh, one of the things that a lot of people were saying was that this is a new platform, and the platform, while it runs under Windows, you know, one day would hope to run under other systems. I was wondering what your thoughts on that were. Well, when we standardized uh, C Sharp and what's called the CLI, which is really uh, a common language runtime and a, a subset of the base class libraries, the reason we did that was to encourage actually um, different implementations on lots of different platforms. Um, we put out uh, an academic uh, version of the .NET framework that runs on FreeBSD. Um, that was the code name for that was Rotor. Okay. And uh, so, I think Mono is a cool thing. I mean, what is it, Mono? Mono is a, an open source version of the .NET framework that uh, is being done in the open source community. Sure. Yeah, just uh, this is Stephen again. Just for exploratory reasons, I started playing around with it, and I've actually was able to start connecting to a, um, a MySQL database running on a, a Red Hat 7.3 implementation, all written in C Sharp, and all using the you know system .data .sql client namespace, and you know using all the familiar um, coding and syntax. That I would have in a, um, you know, using the CLR on the um, Microsoft platform. The only difference, of course, is that there's no publicly available IDE that would compete with Visual Studio. So everything is really done in Emacs or Notepad. Yeah. Super. Yeah. Another another thing, maybe on that theme, I guess, is I mean, you guys, I mean, I'm hearing from you, Mark, that you said it was cool. Is you know, when I was the chief technology officer over at Zagat. Um, we we got a lot of venture capital uh, a couple months after I started. This was, you know, internet bubble time. This was in the late 90s. And the venture capitalists sat me down, and they basically said three things to me. You know, we, we basically had to rebuild our website from scratch. And they said, we want you to use Unix. We want you to use um, Oracle. We want you to be hosted at Exodus. And I turned around, and I hosted it at an unknown ISP in North Carolina called ORCS Web because they focused exclusively on ASP and Windows NT hosting, and we used the, the we used the ASP um, platform, and we you know obviously didn't use Oracle, we used SQL Server, and I was just wondering is I mean I'm sure you guys get this a lot I mean Zagat is an extremely high profile, extremely well trafficked website and. I was wondering if you guys get this a lot from your top-tier customers. They got pressure from potentially customers and potentially from investors like I did. I mean, I got, you know, per, you know, Clyda Perkins and General Atlantic. 
And what is it that Microsoft, besides maybe a marketing engine, has been doing to kind of change their image to, um, to help in this kind of battle with the developers or chief technology officers like myself who are placed in this corner? Well, I think the first thing we're trying to do to, uh, to work against that is really create uh, vastly superior solutions. And I think if you look at ASP.NET, um, in terms of performance, in terms of ease of use, in terms of, you know, the types of tools that you have to develop for it, it's really a superior platform. And that's really the first thing. Um, we have had a number of customers who've actually, you know, been using Java and, you know, often struggling with Java and trying .NET and really having great success. So, I think that's really the first thing, is creating great products, um, getting in, them in the hands of developers, um, also going out to those uh, those customers who have those successes and, and doing um, studies on them, white papers that describe the success they're having and, and put that out. Um, so that is really, uh, I think, the, the primary thing is, is really getting success and and. So the success uh, through evangelism, the right. We're actually going to be doing a lot of shows next year on uh, success stories, specifically uh, for .NET. Um, a lot of companies that both have been my customers and Mark's customers, uh, we have lots of stories queued up in the works. And, uh, and That's uh, great to hear. Right, even uh, going back to the first show you did, Carl, with Pat Hines. Yeah. Uh, that was quite a testimonial about, uh, Incredible. you know, using .NET. Yeah. Well, it, it is a light uh, a light year kind of change. I, I make the analogy, it's kind of like, it's even, it's not, you know, it's not like going from black and white TV to color. It's like going from black and white TV to the holodeck. <laughs> especially, especially ASP.NET. I mean, ASP.NET is the exact same metaphor as coding in, you know, one of the visual tools like Visual Basic. You know, you, you drag some controls, you double-click it, and you write some code, you set properties, you execute methods. And I've been quoted in the great. press as saying that it made my developers as a GAT 10 times, 10 times more, um, more efficient, and it really did. Uh, it, it absolutely did. And um, I guess... I guess that's kind of where I was leading in, and Mark, you, you may get this question all the time, and you're probably not the appropriate person to ask it to, but I'm going to, since, since you're, the, um, you're the guest, I'm going to ask you anyway, is, and you may have already addressed it in this, in this program, and let me know, if, and then I can ask a different question, but I viewed, I mean, when I first saw .NET, you know, my eyes, my eyes just widened, and, you know, while I'm a big fan of Microsoft, I'm I'm not one of those folks that will blindly say great things about the company. And I went home and I told my wife, holy cow, they're onto something. They got something right this time. Really, really good stuff. And what I thought the big compelling reasons of .NET were really twofold. One was the CLR. And the second was that in conjunction with the CLR, I can code on now, and now four different platforms in the same IDE with the same metaphor. You know, ASP, Windows Forms, mobile and then the smart device extensions. And to me, that's the true power of .NET. But my question lies as follows, is I read things in the Wall Street Journal and where lay people are coming into and, and, and saying, what's Microsoft, what are the boys from Redmond up to with .NET? And they always equate .NET to web services. And while web service is an incredibly powerful thing, I mean, I, you know, Zagat had a commercial web service, which I believe there was a, um, a white paper at Microsoft.com available for. And it's an incredibly powerful thing, but it's only one small tool in the tool shed of the .NET platform. Um, has there any, I mean, can you maybe explain that a little bit and then maybe say, by is it an evangelism problem, is it a marketing problem, is it, or is it a perception problem? I think it's been probably a messaging problem and a perception problem. Uh, web services are a key part of .NET. Uh, .NET is about... Um, applications that you can access anywhere at any time. Um, it's about communications. It's about a lot of things. And web services are sort of one of the new paradigms that is part of .NET. And so I think that got a lot of press. Um, a lot of the service aspects that we've talked about really are kind of based on web services. Sure. And so I think there's been confusion in terms of what people mean by .NET when they 
talk about .NET. Um, you know, there will be articles that say, you know, .NET isn't really catching on, and then they're not really talking about the .NET framework. They might be talking about, you know, consumer-facing web services. And so I think there, you know, we've had a, a, you know, a message that has not been as clear as it could be, and that's something we're really working to uh, to address. Do you think then that uh, in the next wave of marketing, I just saw an ad, a Microsoft ad for .NET on CNN, by the way. I thought it was great. Uh, you know, it didn't focus on web services. It was focusing on solving problems, which is a great message to uh, put forth. But for developers, do you think uh, maybe you were a little too heavy on the web services marketing and a little light on everything else? Or what's what's the next wave of marketing for .NET for developers yeah, going to look like? Well, I think we're going to talk about, you know, .NET really makes, no matter what the style of application that you're building, it makes, you know, it has great, great benefits. You know, whether you're building just a Windows client app or, an, you know, a server-based web application, it doesn't have to be a web service. And I think in our enthusiasm about the capabilities of web services, and I think those are, you know, truly amazing. Agreed. Um, we really push that. And um, I think we're going to try and be more balanced. Good. Okay, yeah, that's good to hear because, you know, if you look at a new a new product that .NET is, you know, it's full of new features and web services, one of just many. You know, I mean, I think the CLR is is such a powerful new feature because I mean it's brand new. I think that's far more important than .NET. To me, it's ended the the Visual Basic versus C++ wars that went on over the years. Mm. And uh, that might lead into my next question is, um, like, what are Microsoft's plans for Visual Basic? I, I mean, I'll give you full disclosure. I grew up as a VB programmer. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I think, as probably most of the listeners here today have, Yeah. it's a very popular language. I heard a number of years ago that there were more lines of VB code out there than any other language, even COBOL. I don't know if that's true or substantiated. Yeah, I've heard that too. Okay. And so obviously Microsoft has made a huge investment in Visual Basic. It's, you know, over 10 years old. And um, I was wondering what really are in the future plans for Visual Basic because, you know, you talk to a lot of, you know, it depends on who you talk to at Microsoft or on the street or people in the press. And, you know, C Sharp really, you know, is really was really being pushed at, by Microsoft. And um, I think even some folks at Microsoft were surprised about the popularity of VB.net over C-sharp to some degree. And then I think taking that another turn is I think a lot of people at Microsoft think that maybe VB.net is too hard to be um, for the average VB6 programmer to upgrade and are thinking potentially next in future versions, you know, what I would hate to see is there not be parity between C-sharp and, and VB.net. Is that a goal to keep parity between the two that there will always be 100% CLR compliant. Just before, and Just before you answer that, Mark, I want to say that I think it's time for VB6 programmers to upgrade their knowledge. Absolutely. You know? Yes. Yeah, I mean, well, I think it's that's really, the, it's really great to hear um, some VB programmers say that. Um, I do think it, that, it's, uh, that it's time for people to upgrade. Uh, VB.net, you know, we did a tremendous amount of work on the VB language and the whole VB product. Uh, for Visual Studio.net. I think it's a very major release for VB. Um, I think what you're going to see in the future is really the languages trying to, to target their customers. Hmm. And I don't think that that means that VB gets dumbed down or, you know, that it loses parity. I think parity is, is, you know, being able to faithfully use the, the common language runtime and all the class libraries is a key aspect of VB. It's a key aspect of the platform. But I do think that you'll see the different languages really trying to refine their value proposition to the people who use those language, be, languages because there are different types of developers and they um, expect different things. That's true. So, Mark, let me ask you this question, too. Why would anybody in their right mind want case sensitivity in a language? Um, the reason I think people want case sensitivity is they want um, a, a level of precision and, uh, you know, having a name and, and 
case sensitivity is is a more precise way. It might not always be uh, a way that matches what a particular developer wants. Hmm. So in that, other words, that's if certainly can... a big hurdle for uh, VB programmers to get over uh, that, that go to C sharp. Yeah. I also wanted to mention I recently was talking to uh, to a fellow uh, at, at a company that I do some work with, and they're going to be moving over to .NET, and he said he was going to standardize to C sharp. And I was kind of trying to talk him into looking at VB.NET. And his argument to me was, uh, you know, I'm looking at hiring people that come right out of school, out of computer science programs. And, you know, there are not really uh, a lot of CS programs out there teaching Visual Basics as a syntax. Uh, you know, more of them know Java coming out of school. And uh, he, he was making that decision based on hiring guys in the future. Before you answer, Mark, I'd like to reiterate that as um, I'm involved with a a local trade organization here in New York, and we sponsor an internship program at the City University and at NYU and at um, um, Cooper Union. And I see the exact same thing coming out of the uh, computer science, um, Java or C++, no visual basic. And I find that a little bit disturbing because the majority of the jobs when you open up the New York Times are visual basic programmers, not C++ programmers. Hmm. So what can we do to get them to teach VB in the schools? We need a grassroots movement to get VB back into the colleges. That's what I think we need. I, I agree 100% with that. That's been a, a passion of mine for many years, actually. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's interesting. It Actually, you know, the phenomenon that you're talking about is really why we have VB and we have C Sharp. You know, there are different styles of programmers and, and different uh, developers who have a different set of experiences and different ways of, of thinking. Um, that's really the message behind .NET. There are lots of different languages, in there, and people use different languages for different reasons. And for a lot of people, VB makes more sense. Um, and for people whose upbringing has been in uh, the C++, the Java space, um, C Sharp is going to be a much better language. Uh, for them, much closer match to their experience. Of course, if you really want to program in Java, we also have a language that's um, that's new for version 1.1 of the framework called J Sharp that gives you the Java language syntax uh, over the framework. So, so my question is, with the CLR, does it? Uh, I mean, it almost sounds like you're saying it doesn't matter. I mean, it's if a person wants to choose VB. You know, or J J sharp or or C sharp, they're really going to be supported by Microsoft because they're going to be all first class citizens, you know, being 100% CLR compliant. That's exactly right. Okay, so that that's good to hear because I I've, I've always thought since since I first saw the early betas of .NET that this will really make productivity and personal style the number one reason for choosing a technology. I mean, I'm sorry, for choosing a programming language. In the past, I've had to choose, I've, I've, I'm sorry, in the past, I had to defend my decision to customers and partners why I was using Visual Basic. Yeah. And I feel that that actually, while Visual Basic and C Sharp and J Sharp stay on the same playing field, and for as long as that continues to happen, that I won't have to make that justification anymore because it's all compiled to the same missile at the end of the day. The only thing that I would add to that, Stephen, is that you know, the support that you find in the third-party market, books, for example, you know, the majority of the books are going to be written for either C-sharp or VB programmers. So, you know, choosing, you know, Perl or COBOL for productivity reasons and might not be the best idea. Yeah, I'm still still looking for a programming web services and Fujitsu COBOL book. I, I don't somehow think I'm going to find that anytime soon. Maybe you should write it to fill the void. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe four or five people would buy it. You know, the, you guys can joke around about different languages, and um, but the, the the fact of the matter is that you never know where the next language that's hot is going to come from. You yeah, know? I, I agree um, with you, Mark, on that one because language uh, platforms are here to stay. Languages come and go, and J2EE is tied to one language, Java, and .NET right. is not tied to any language. And you know, if you can squeeze COBOL and Eiffel into that, then Whatever the next cool language of the day will be, whether it's you know D sharp or Q sharp, 
uh, five years from now. It could still exist on top of the common language runtime. I'll go along with that. Okay, Stephen, does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Thank you very much. Awesome. Well, it was great to have you on the show, and we'll be hanging out and having a beer down there sometime soon. Awesome. Come down to New York whenever you want. I certainly Thanks for will. the call, Stephen. No problem. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks a lot, Mark. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Good night. See ya. So, Mark, what's next for .NET after, after version 1.1? What's the focus going to be? Well, I can't really talk too much about it, but uh, we're already coding on it, and uh, it's looking pretty wild. I think there's a lot of uh, really incredible new stuff in there, so I think it's going to blow a lot of minds uh, when we come out with that. Can you comment on the next version of SQL Server that's going to have the framework uh, built in or be layered on top of the framework? Um, I can't really comment too much on it. I mean, uh, uh, the CLR will be hosted within SQL Server, so you can use, you know, different CLR, compl- you know, languages that work with .NET, like, you know, right DB props. or C-sharp, to write stored procedures or triggers or... Um, and you get the full access to the language, don't you? Yeah. God, that blows my mind. I just can't believe that. That is incredible. So I could take logic that I'm writing in a DLL, move it into a stored procedure, and compile it, and done. Yep. Return a data set. Send in a data set. Yep. Oh, my God. That's right. That's awesome. I just can't believe that. I mean, that's just, that is such a big deal. I can't, ex- I can't express my gratitude enough. Well, can I'm I send glad you a, you're excited about can it. Can I send you a basket of flowers, Mark? Um, yes, you can. <laughs> okay. Any last uh, and final thoughts before signing off, Mark? Um, last and final thoughts. Well, it was a real pleasure being here tonight, uh, had a lot of great questions, uh, a lot of great callers, and uh, what do you think of our little show? I think it's great. Well, good. You, we're going to be seeing you at uh, Visual Studio Net Connections, are we not? Yes, you are. Yeah, that's great. We're actually going to do a show from the booth where, where Franklin's Net has a booth down there, and I'm the ch- conference chair for the VB side, and so we're going to record a show there. And I hope you stop by and take a question or two. I'd be happy to. All right. Super. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. My pleasure. Good night.